0: Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you the drivers who switched to progressive could save big. But then what? Well, radio has been called theater of the mind. So let's tell a story with sound effects. (laughs) Wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. (laughs) Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton Tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I
1: know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or the dose of news useful today. The founder and CEO Peter Nowak is a good friend of mine, and when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences, and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So, get the donut. Stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text DONUT to 66866 to sign up today. Well, hello there. Thank you for checking out Dr. D's Social Network and this special episode that we run every two months with the CEO of The Donut, Peter Nowak, also a good friend of mine, where we discuss uh, the news and things that are prominent in the news that are going on. As you know, we're coming down the home stretch of 2020. And Peter and I discuss a variety of topics from obviously the election, the Supreme Court nomination that's going on currently, um, driverless uh, ride hailing cars, life on Venus, and a variety of other topics. So grateful that you would take the time to join us in this conversation. So, Get ready for the news, Dr. D's social network newscast. press record for all of that but that's okay um yeah okay what were you what were you
2: saying <laughs> oh, i going to say there's uh there was a dude this was like a couple weeks ago uh, just while we're on the topic of cult stuff a guy in russia who claimed to be the reincarnation of jesus was arrested um, and the funny thing about that at least to me is he like when you look at pictures of him he looks the exact same as like the Western depiction of Jesus. Like he's grown, he's grown his hair out the same way, his beard out the same way. He's got a white robe on in all of the pictures. He sits on like a, a little throne um, yeah. on the, <laughs> on the, the land that they're on. Um, but yeah, he got arrested in Russia two weeks ago. I saw this cold, because like of, of the donut 90. by the way. <laughs> <Thank
1: you>. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like the Siberian yeah. Jesus. I'm like what is this? what's going on here, man? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, we uh, we just search and troll and, you know, troll the internet for the the most interesting stuff that we find and that's like what we toss in the dose of random. It's like the, the, the um, you know how like journalism has been known for sensationalism uh, increasingly yeah. over the past, you know, a couple decades. Well, it's where the sensationalism is actually backed up by the story mm. is kind of how I like to think about it, where it's like yeah. the hook is so outrageous that you're like, oh, my gosh. Right. Like that has to be one of those clickbaity articles. But then you click on it and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's like it actually undersold it. Um, it's one of those <laughs> that actually backs up what it's saying. <laughs> and like that's that's kind of like our we want to be the antithesis to that sensationalist journalism. So I I mean that I, I like hearing that. I love hearing that actually.
1: Yeah. No, I I there's something about all that stuff that just like pulls me to want to understand why people would want to be a part of that. And I mean, usually there's there's some gaping, gaping hole in the person's life or they want to become better and maybe they're intention is like i just want to become better and a lot of these things that I, i've surmised in a lot of this is that people don't necessarily join a cult like they don't necessarily say hey yeah i want to join a cult like they just they join something they think is going to make them better and then they realize like oh shit i'm in a cult like they're like what is happening maybe some people recognize it is but a lot of people it's kind of like they don't know they're in the matrix until they figure out they're in the matrix, you know, type of thing.
2: It's a weird thing. Have you ever seen a Portlandia or do you know what that show? Oh my gosh.
1: I've definitely seen it.
2: (laughs) Okay. So the one that comes to mind is like the very opening episode uh, where two of the main characters, it's like a skit based uh, it's a skit based show for people that, that haven't heard of it. It's on Netflix and it contains a lot of the SNL cast and one of the early skits is um, a woman and a man at a diner in like a Portland hipstery kind of vibe. And the the joke is they're ordering chicken and they want to know literally everything about mm-hmm. the farm, what was the chicken's <laughs> yeah. name, like how much space did it have, was it a square mile, was it an acre, right? Like they wanted to know these very specific things, like its birthday, when it was killed, like all of that stuff. And the joke ends where... The uh the waitress is like, Well, the farm's just like a half hour down the road, you guys can go check it out yourself. And like, oh my gosh, we're definitely gonna do that. And this is all before they're ordering food. And they end up getting to this farm, it's like a, another skit a little bit later in the episode. They get to this farm, and it's similar to what we're talking about, it's like this this cult leader, and the cult leader is just outlandish over the top, it's kind of like sex culty-ish and uh, at the end of the episode and not to spoil anything cuz you know you watch it it's actually funny uh, but this is the general storyline at the end of the episode they wake up like 4 years later and they're like oh my gosh like are we in a cult like what did we just do <laughs> yeah. and then they're going back to the original original restaurant where they started and that's exactly what that what that reminds me of is it's like you get drawn into something without really realizing it And then you wake up one day, like you said, and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, how did I get here? And you just pull yourself out of it somehow.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's really strange. There's even like I think there's a movie I haven't watched yet, but it's basically about this guy who creates this fake cult and calls himself his own guru just to see what people will do. And like it like becomes a thing, I believe. And I was like, I got to watch this. Like it's like parodying a parody of it. But he's like, people actually, like, if you do this, sometimes people like, would be like, oh, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Like, it's the, the the fragility sometimes of the human mind and to belong to something. And I think that kind of, well, segues somewhat into what, what I think we got to talk about, which is the election and this kind of tribalism that we're experiencing on some level with this need to belong to something or a team or an environment. And yeah. it's coming down. It's there's a lot of that going on currently, which just really um, more stories I hear, like I'll get information from my clients and they'll say, oh, this person's a Trump supporter. Or this person's in the Biden and blah, 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 and this and that. And then the stories they tell me are so outrageous. It's just mind blowing what this election has done to people.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, it's exacerbated um, a lot of, a lot of conflict. That's for sure. I mean, there's, I've seen and heard and just uh, a lot of the audience we have at the donut is people that are kind of just exhausted with all of Mm -hmm. the, what we're talking about, like the vitriol, the hatred, the politicization of everything, the divisiveness, all of that. And I hear so many things about like Family members being unfriended for a Facebook post, right or like refusing. <laughs> I just talked about that today with somebody <laughs> yeah it's it's dude, it's ridiculous, it's like somebody Ugh. posts something on Facebook, and then without any warning or it, just anything, it's like, oh my gosh you're you're oh you're one of those it's like well you, let me explain my position or like do you, you want to ask me about my position first, but no, you immediately attribute all of these a lot of times imaginary characteristics that you project those onto me because of what you've heard or, you know, what's stereotyped in media or popular culture or kind of whatever. And it's like, boom, relationships ended. And I, you know, I hate that. That's Part of my motivation to starting the donut is like, I want to to bridge those divides in some way. And I think a pathway to do that is media literacy.
1: Totally. Now, and honoring that, what do we know? Take away all this stuff, the sensational things, the commentary. What do we actually know about three weeks or so out from the election? What are some hard facts, data that maybe would be good for people to know currently as we head into this?
2: Yeah, well, I mean that's that's a tough one, right? And we're actually literally exactly <laughs> three weeks away from the election today. Right? It's October thirteenth. are twenty-one yeah. days until the until the election, and it doesn't feel like it's it's that close, which is kind of crazy, doesn't right? actually, yeah. <laughs> but as as far as concrete stuff goes, man, like the only concrete thing I can tell you is something that's not even really that concrete, and it's how many votes have been cast, right? Because it's an mm-hmm. estimation based off of thirty-six states, not fifty states, right? So like in terms of Knowing what's going to happen 21 days from now, I don't think anybody knows. But as far as like polls go, um, polls don't really indicate a whole lot of things about future events. It's just like a snapshot in time, right? Because like polls fluctuate based on news that comes out, based on events that happen, based on various things that occur. And what the polls are saying right now um, and a general level, and before I get into the polls, I do want to clarify something because I think there's a lot of, of misconceptions around the 2016 election uh, with the polls being um, incorrect. For uh, a large part, that wasn't actually true. Um, the focus was just more on the national polls yeah. instead of the battleground state polls. Hillary Clinton did actually end up winning the popular vote, which is what the national polls indicated. But Trump won in states that swung the Electoral College in his favor, like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So the polls themselves were fairly accurate. It was just the focus of the pundits that was off. Right. Um, so starting at the, the national level, um, I want to get some up-to-date statistics here. So I'm trying to pull up this yeah. website being a little, a little iffy. But when I looked at it earlier this morning, based on the recent polls, there was a 10 point swing according to Real Clear Politics polling average mm-hmm. was 51 41 Biden in favor. And I mean, on an individual poll level, I've seen anywhere from like six points Biden ahead to like 16 points Biden ahead. Um, but again, that's at the national level, right? Um, in the battlegrounds, so Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida, and Arizona. As an aggregate, Biden's up five points, uh, 49.5 to 44.5. Florida, uh, he's up by 3.7. Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin are actually his biggest margins of, um, I guess, victory wouldn't be the right word, but I I think you kind of get what I'm trying to say. Yeah, Um, yeah. Like 50 to 43, 49 to 43, and 50 to 43 again. Right, so Biden's got pretty much a, a commanding lead across the battlegrounds as well. In, or, I'm sorry, not across all of the battlegrounds, in just Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And then in Florida, North Carolina, and Arizona, um, it's like a three, three, four point lead in Biden's favor, which is actually within the margin of error for margin, most polls.
0: Yeah.
2: Right, so it's like, it, again, as far as anything concrete goes, it's like, we don't know. And um, the the biggest, I think, the most popular forecasting tool is um 538. Have you heard of that before?
1: I'm on it every day, my my friend. Every yeah. single day. I've become a 538 junkie just because I like I I think it's it feels very well done. Let me put it that way. And they're updating this thing literally like constantly. The scenarios, 40,000 scenarios like they're running. It feels more more um It just feels like it's well done. I don't know how else to put it, you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, it's really well done. Um, Nate Silver is the guy who founded it, and he's a very prominent statistical-based journalist. And as you said, they run election simulations 40,000 times uh, consistently, right? It's crazy to see who wins uh, the election. And right now, I'm looking at the page earlier today, and I actually don't understand this. So, um, oh no, actually I do. It's in the the graphic. So earlier today, it was 87 uh, percent chance Biden was going to win the election, which means 13 mm-hmm. percent Trump was going to win the election. Now, uh, and this shows you how often they update it. This is literally within the past couple hours. It's 86 percent mm. Biden. Um, favored to win and 13 percent trump favored to win there's one percent where there's no electoral college majority which means there's a tie and the house decides the election right which in this instance would because the house is democratic held that would probably fall on Biden's side right right
1: yeah and that in the simulations and, and anybody who listens you know um it's actually a really good site. I mean, I I have no affiliation with the site or anything. I just I just really enjoy the tremendous statistical analysis done. It's it's just it's a lot of data, and that is run tremendously often. And I think it gives you a good snapshot of what's going on. It's now if you take that information and you really look at it, it doesn't look good for Donald Trump. Clearly, when you look at that, looks very good for Biden. But we'll see, right? I mean, I was I read that Florida would be able to have; they can count their votes early. I believe they're not one of the states that can't. Correct me if I'm wrong, please, on this. Um, but that we should know on election day where Florida stands. G- generally speaking, we should know, like who would win that state.
2: I actually haven't. I I mean, I haven't heard that. Um, but I got, it's got the not I
1: got to send it to you. Yeah, yeah. Please do. Please do. It's done. It's done by the. Um, very reputable sources in that state who, I mean, it's very specific to Florida and because they can count, they can count early. Whereas like I think Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, they can, they have to count on election day. And apparently that's going to be days. They, they're thinking that that will not be done that day. Uh, but Florida is one of the few States that apparently you're, you're supposed to know. Um yeah. and, I think if, if that was the case, this person was saying that if Biden were to win Florida, essentially it would be um, probably over if that was the case. Um, yeah. You would have a good idea based off of that. If not, then it would still be kind of up in the air a bit more, but it, it wouldn't really mean anything overall because the pathway for Trump is much smaller based off of 538 than it is for Biden.
2: Yeah. Well, and again, too, I, I would caution against like the preliminary um, election results, because yeah. especially if uh, a majority is done by mail-in voting, there's going to be legal challenges. Um, Certainly. And yeah, and then the legal challenges will just, you know, elongate everything, uh, which is why, you know, you see a lot of a lot of publications, a lot of people and even like I think it's Twitter. Maybe no, I know Twitter for sure, so I'm not going to comment on the other ones, but they're um, not allowing people to post about who won uh, the election when it's unconfirmed
1: now it makes i mean i I read that too it makes a lot of sense with that i mean what is your sense obviously this is just speculation for you what is your sense about the mood of of all this and what you think
2: might occur I mean again that's that's tough right because the the information I get is so across the spectrum and mm-hmm. the, like an example I can provide is um did you watch either of the debates the presidential or the vp debate I didn't no Okay. Well you're glad I'm glad you didn't watch the presidential no, debate. I purposely um, didn't
1: watch it. I was I did not want to watch that. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well I had to, right? And like for Well yeah, we, you're I,
1: on the news, man. <laughs> exactly.
2: And I mean I can tell you like I wanted something focused on policy, right? And more facts. And I didn't hear that from anybody there. And I was just face palmed like halfway through. Yeah. But Regardless, the example I was going to give was about the the VP debate. Anyways, I watched all of the VP debate and, um, you know, I go online afterwards to see what everybody's saying about it. And it's crazy because I had my own opinion. And then I read like one side and one side goes, oh man, you know, Kamala wiped the floor with Pence. Like she showed him what, what he interrupted her all the time. She fought back. And then like on the right, it's like Pence eviscerates Harris. And, you know, she didn't have an answer for this, didn't have an answer for that. And it's like, wow, okay. So it's like we're living in two different worlds here because one side sees the same event, just like the news, right? And interprets it differently. The other side sees the same thing and is like, oh my gosh, this is what actually happened. And it's crazy the lenses, I think, with which people view um, view that type of stuff. And the point I'm trying to to make with this is like the information I get exposed to, half of it says Trump's underestimated, right? Like there's this, um the the majority, like the exhausted majority is gonna show up. Right. And then the other side is like Biden's got this in the bag, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know who to believe. I don't know what to believe. <laughs> and again, the like the best the best advice that I can give or like the best projection that I can give is I, I truly still think it's a toss up. Yeah. It's interesting because on one side, like to
1: add to your comment, you know, there is, there's kind of a 2016 hangover on both sides. And one side perceives the 20 side, 16, 2016 hangover as they underestimated us before. And look what happened. And the other side is like, yeah. And, we're so worried about what happened last time. What if that happens again, in a sense? So it's hard to know, like, until we actually see what happens. And it's a historic time. I think what it seems like that there is tremendous levels of voting and actually the same article I got to send to you that um, the gentleman was saying that this is going to be the most voting that has occurred since the 1908 election. Um Comparative wise, uh, you could see 150 plus million people voting.
2: I don't know what that means, but clearly a lot of people want to vote, <laughs> you know. I let me fact check that real quick. But I thought like 160 million plus people had voted in last election. Yeah,
1: you know, it was something I just saw. It was supposed to be pretty we're on pace for the largest ever well since that time. But yeah, check that out. I mean I it was in the same article. I was like, this is yeah. a pretty good article. It's one of those things where you find, you're like, where has this been? Like, <laughs> what is that's going right. on? Yeah, that's
2: pretty, Okay, so 138 million voted in 2016. So 150 would be a decently substantial increase, right? That'd be like a right. little under 10% increase.
1: Right. So, I mean, I guess... And then you had the aspect of um, here also with the voting, the early voting. I think that may be misleading to a lot of people, potentially, Understanding that just because what Democrats have like a two to one advantage, I mean, it doesn't predict anything am I, that I would know of. Maybe you know differently related to that. I mean,
2: well, I, I mean, it kind of, but the, that's what the numbers do show, right? Because Democrats yeah. are more likely to vote by mail and Republicans yeah. are more likely to vote in person. So, again, with a contentious close election. Um, and to give you an idea of context, right? So like the 2016 election was also very close and it was decided by under 80,000 votes. Right? so in a, in a population of 330 million plus people, the election was decided by less than 80,000 votes. And that's pretty much what we're looking at this year as well. I would Radical. imagine. Right. It's just, it's absolutely crazy how, like how each person's vote actually when when it comes down to it does matter. Especially in in specific areas, right? Due to the electoral college.
1: Yeah, I think, and that's, there's interesting discussion with that because it's like, I'm in Washington state, which is, I mean, a blue state all the way through and through, you know, I would imagine that's not going to change. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't, I don't think so. For that, You know, the West Coast. And so, you know, where I'm at, it's kind of like, this is going to be what it's going to be. I wonder the mentality, though, of places like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Florida. Does the bo- voting public feel a sense of pressure? Because maybe we know more about that, the weight of these things. At least I do now on this. I'm 42 years old, and I'm just starting to recognize the weight of these things more in my life versus when I was 22, you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I can kind of speak to that, I guess, a little bit. Maybe not on the level that you are talking about in terms of swinging a presidential election, because I don't think Texas is quite there. But Texas is has gotten closer to flipping blue than it has ever gotten in um, twenty eighteen, where yeah, the the Beto O'Rourke Ted Cruz race mm-hmm. and twenty sixteen too, um, there was uh, an increase. In Democratic votes, specifically in, in metro areas like Houston, um, Austin is, as many people have said, like a blueberry in the middle of the state yeah, because yeah. it's you know, blue and then the rest of the state's red. But as the population continues to increase, you do see these these voting changes, like these voting pattern changes, tending to skew more towards the the Democratic side. And I've been to some political events here in Texas, and you can kind of see it but what i see is more of a casting off of uh, i guess an old guard yeah. by both sides right saying and, and again this is just more grassroots stuff it's not um, it's not permeated yet but at the grassroots level, a lot of the events I am attending in Texas are talking about like compromise, are talking about working together to achieve things that people agree on, like healthcare, right? Like both sides agree healthcare needs to be reformed, but they disagree on the how. There is definitely compromise that can be found on you know on both sides to achieve better healthcare for all Americans. So it's it's more of like a collaborative focus while remaining principled to the the, the fundamental beliefs. Um, and that's what makes me excited about the future right and instead of kind of like negative about the future, I'm excited about it because of what I see at the the grassroots level.
1: Well, I think what also is extending on that is the United States is changing pretty dramatically in certain areas like I think also why you're seeing like tighter things, let's say in Georgia, because you're seeing changes in areas like Atlanta. More people of different ethnicity moving to the country or in more suburb type places, and the the country is shifting and I think it's somewhat reflecting that I think that's a good thing you know it's i'm not usually a fan of like one area is just like this all the time you know this area is predominantly this way like it's good to have differences in different areas and that we see different people and we enjoy the company of people who don't look like us all over the United States versus this homogenous society or monoculture mono ethnic places you know um i'm very hopeful about that i think it's a good i saw a thing about a, a tiny town in iowa that has become completely diversified in iowa and i thought that's a good thing now i understand that there may be people who don't like that but i think it's actually good for our country
2: Yeah. Well, one thing that I always have to, to continuously um, remind myself and and others too, is again, stepping back and taking more of a global perspective here. The fact that the United States has so many cultures living together, I say harmoniously. And I mean, I mean harmoniously because it hasn't devolved into like race wars and and violence, you know, cultural violence. Um, uh, But it's amazing to me that all of the cultures live together harmoniously Whereas uh, a lot of different um, countries like uh, Japan, for instance, or like the Nordic countries are very homogenous yes. um, in terms of, of culture, right? Like 95% of the people are are the same. Um, now, that's just an arbitrary number, right? But you kind of get the point um, yeah. where I do have to consistently remind myself that for all of the a lot of the manufactured um divisiveness, I think we all agree on a lot of the, the same principles. And I think that's that's something that should be celebrated and appreciated and continued um, instead of devolved into, right? Like, we should all work together to achieve common goals um, instead of devolving into uh, everybody's, again, the tribal mentality we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually do think there's a lot of hope. I know that there are going to be people listening. There's thinking like, that hope may shift based off of what happens November 3rd plus, I'm going to say plus because you're probably not going to know, November 3rd, yeah. uh, you know, th- through all the, a variety of reasons. But I think there's a lot of good things. But in, in pivoting to that, as we're three weeks out, I saw in the donut um, a good amount of information related to the Supreme Court hearings for, uh was it, Amy Barrett? Yep. Um, Tell me your take. You know the coverage of that, maybe the importance of it, uh, based off what we know.
2: Yeah. So, um, as as most probably know, the seat opened up when the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. Um, I must say, just an awesome woman. Uh, just reading read a lot about her life, right? Regardless of how you feel about her politically. I think we can all agree that she broke a lot of barriers and she achieved a lot of positive things in her lifetime and should be celebrated and appreciated. Um, so the the seat opened up and obviously there was a lot of uproar because um, in 2016, when uh, again, an election year, uh, the Democrats held the presidency. So that was the Obama Biden ticket and a Supreme Court um, vacancy opened up. The Republicans held the Senate and uh, did not advance uh, a nomination of Merrick Gardland forward um, to a vote and at the time because this is what to me is is very interesting is the flip-flopping um, but I, I will comment on this a little bit afterwards I think there is a little more principle in in one side than the other side and that's rare for me to say um, so in 2016 this is um, from McConnell this is a direct quote of course it's within the president's authority to nominate a successor even in this very rare circumstance remember that the Senate has not filled a vacancy arising in an election year where there, when there was divided government since 1888, almost 130 years ago. But we also know that Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution grants the Senate the right to withhold its consent as it deems necessary. So that was 2016. And as you'll remember, I just outlined in 2016, the Democrats held the presidency, Republicans held the Senate. Now, the difference here in 2020, the argument on the, the Republican side is the Republicans hold the presidency and the Senate, which, according to the Constitution, means they can uh, advance a nomination of a Supreme Court justice.
1: Yeah, it's it's very interesting the flip-flopping on this for that. I think there's that's what I've been hearing a lot about it, but also I guess. A big portion of this is the controversy behind the views that this nominee has. Can you speak a little bit on that? Maybe the weight behind it.
2: Yeah. So there's a, a lot of concern here. Let me pull up some notes. So there's a lot of concern um, coming from the the Democratic side surrounding Amy Comey Barrett's or Amy Coney Barrett's view on Obamacare. Um, so she's written some critiques, uh, a couple critiques in the past of Justice Roberts' ruling. Uh, 2012 ruling um, on the individual mandate and the expansion of Medicare. So the Supreme Court's going to be hearing a challenge to the ACA, um, Obamacare, on November 10th, and Senate Republicans uh, expressed a desire to schedule a vote for Barrett on October 29th. Um, So Barrett would, according to this timeline, be on the Supreme Court to hear the challenge to the Affordable Care Act that she's criticized previously. Um, what the Republican members of the committee, because, again, this is a, a hearing being held in the the Senate committee um, as we speak, actually, uh, the Republicans argue that she can separate her personal beliefs and interpret the law accordingly and point to various rulings in the past on abortion um, to corroborate that, because there's also some concern or there has been some concern about the overturn of Roe right. v. Wade. Um, so right now, again, like I said, as we speak, Amy Coney Barrett's answering members answering questions from Republican and Democratic members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And uh, after these hearings are over uh, tomorrow, there's supposed to be a vote on October 22nd in the committee, and then a wider vote on October 29th, as I mentioned earlier. So as the situation currently stands, Republicans are projected to have 51 yes votes. Which means that uh, Amy Coney Barrett would sit on the Supreme Court,
1: and this would be at this point. Um, I think I read a six-three, um, like in favor of conservatives, or am I getting this wrong? I, I read
2: this just recently. Is that what that is? No, that's that's right because uh, it was oh, yeah. five-four previously, and RBG right. um, was was more on the liberal side. So uh, one of the things that I always found interesting, and you remember probably the the Kavanaugh. Uh, yes. Right. The, the divisiveness and the, mm-hmm. the allegations and um, a lot that occurred during that period. He was thought to have been one of the most conservative justices to be on the Supreme Court. So I saw a graphic very recently that showed in terms of his rulings, he actually rules on, on both sides. And that's what you continue to see with some of the conservative justices is they will flip flop. Right, Justice Roberts, um, probably most famously of all. Yes, But Kavanaugh actually, since his confirmation, has been pretty much right down the middle. And that's about where Amy Coney Barrett's projected to be as well, based Interesting. on
1: that scene. So based off of those, that information, it, you know, we're hearing a lot about the concern, but it actually may not be as concerning as people think it may be when it comes down to the actual decision making that's been done, the record.
2: Yeah, because Barrett is, is pretty prominently known as an originalist or textualist, which means like focusing very um, narrowly on what the Constitution itself says and interpreting pretty much the rule of law according to the rule of law, the way it's written. Um, so it, it appears again, uh, and this is now we're ranging into to my opinion, right? Like based on yeah. a lot of what I've seen, I do think there is a lot of hyperbole. Um, especially when it comes to the the Roe v. Wade, but I do think there are questions surrounding ACA um, that should be asked, right? And I would love to hear answers right. for.
1: And additionally, this also potentially has implications for the election. Possibly, if it was to the Supreme Court, maybe there's a thought process that this could be a tipping point for a reelection of Trump.
2: Yeah, I mean, but again, it could go both ways, right? Because because of, right. of twenty sixteen, right? Like maybe that not or maybe that motivates voters to get out for Biden more. Um and that's why you hear right. a whole ton of of um a whole ton of talk around court packing, right? You've probably heard a lot about that yes. And, yes. And it, so court packing um the, the definition has changed a little bit in the past couple of days, but when uh the questions were asked about court packing, what that meant in principle was adding to the number of justices on the Supreme Court, so as you said earlier, it's six three right now. Uh, court packing would be adding four seats to the bench, so there'd be thirteen seats, and ensuring those four seats added to the bench would rule would fall on the liberal side of um, rulings, meaning there would be a seven six liberal majority in the Supreme Court from a six three conservative majority. So that's that's where the questions around court packing um, come yeah. in. Right. So again, it could motivate one side. It could also motivate the other side. And I see the the uh, motivations for both of those.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I mean, that was very well summarized. Thank for that. Um, what are we looking at? Kind of different in our notes, the Senate races here, because I think those may be a lot of people look at them, but I'm not sure how much the general public is paying attention to the the interesting things that are happening on a Senate level that could actually be very um, weigh very heavily in what happens in the next four years.
2: Yeah, well, as we always say, the the change happens more on the local level, right? And there was just a uh, fundraising record broken in the South Carolina race. Uh, Lindsey Graham's opponent, I, I'm forgetting his name right now, Harrison, um, but yeah. he re- yeah, yeah. Uh, Jamie Harrison raised $57 million last quarter, Ooh. which is a record. Um, so, I mean, again, as I said, like in Arizona, it does, t- it does seem to be skewing Republican at this point right now. Um, but who knows, right? And, and the voting is going to kind of indicate it because the, the senatorial polling does seem to follow the national polling um, to a certain degree. So again, we'll, we'll see what happens. Right. It's like, I I hate trying to speculate on this stuff because I I don't know what's going to happen. And like, I can give you an example here. So we're um, trying to put together some projections because we're going on the the fundraising path on the the donut side and I'm being asked to put, put numbers on stuff that I just like, I don't know. And I have such an apprehension of doing it because it's like, I know it's wrong. You know, it's going to be wrong. So what's the point of doing it you know? <laughs> um, but you know i i obviously do understand it's like the the um when it comes to the the numbers and projections it's like well yeah. it's good to have an idea have a basis and adjust um and be able to track kind of the trends that way um but again it's like when there's times of uncertainty it's like i'm hesitant either way and i i think that's good for what we're doing at the donut
1: yeah well it's interesting too. I I I get that mentality. I think maybe scenarios are interesting to me because if you look you can look at different scenarios. So let's say the scenario stays the same. Trump re election, uh majority Republican uh Senate, the House looks that's gonna stay. Looks like pretty pretty sure footing there. That would be crazy actually, based if that changed. Um, A very similar thing, or you have a scenario that, let's say, Trump re-election, Democrats win control over the Senate, and then you have Democrat majority, or you have another scenario, which uh, Democrat presidency, Democratic, we have more scenarios, Democratic Senate and House, you got all these scenarios, but which is interesting, I think, even these scenarios could be very interesting in how they project what things get passed or what work gets done over the next four years. You know, certainly if there's a a blue wave the whole way through, you might be likely to see some very interesting things being passed. Or if it's more of a, if it's a Democrat Senate and House versus uh, with, a, you know, Trump re-election, you may see a lot of Tremendous amount of gridlocking, potentially. So there's a lot of scenarios out there.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a whole ton of scenarios. Uh, but the the one, it's like um, when it comes to sporting events, right? Or again, if we have to speculate, if we have to go into these forward-looking projections, there's a couple of yeah. things that I do tend to look at uh, when it comes to sports. Do you have a wild guess at, uh, at mm-hmm. where the focus is? Yeah, I...
1: Vegas. i'm not a gambling i'm not a gambling per well no let me take that back i play fantasy football every year that's some form of gambling i'm doing and every once in a while i bet the spread on games and stuff but i think people like projections it gives some people comfort sometimes to say okay this is this this validates my feelings or this doesn't for that i i think for me my speculation is just kind of i i don't know i'm looking at data just like I look at five thirty-eight and I go, wow, this looks like very skewed one way. But, you know, life is surprising. If <laughs> you don't know that by now, I'm not sure where you've been, you know. Life is <laughs> yeah. very surprising. And sp- yeah. speaking of life, this feels like a good speg- segue as we've been going on life on Venus, okay? And I think these things aren't given as much weight, but very interesting information coming from agencies related to Potential alien life discovered on Venus and especially I think it's in the atmosphere, the particles. Expand upon that, yeah. You know.
2: Yeah. So this was uh like mid-September. Um there was a discovery of a gas called phosphine in Venus's atmosphere, which raises the possibility, it's not confirmed, right? But it raises a, a very decent possibility of extraterrestrial life on Venus. Right. And here's the the surprising thing for about it is the conditions on Venus, so it's the hottest planet in the solar system, right? It's hotter than Mercury. It's deeply unpleasant. So there's mainly CO2, thick clouds of, of sulfuric acid in the atmosphere. right? And it's so unpleasant that scientists believe the planet is just dead, right? And then they find out in mid-September that there might be extraterrestrial life, which uh, to me is absolutely crazy, right? It's mind-boggling that we've talked about this before. It's like there, there has to be some form of life out there i hope uh, you know I, I was hoping it'd be a little more advanced but you know there's still time <laughs> to time to discover that but it, it's the discovery of something that we thought was impossible that gets me so excited yeah
1: i think that we don't really know what life would actually be like completely i think we have this idea of like in our mind like that it's these set of things have to be apparent for there to be life and I've seen a lot of information related to this, that we're looking at it through one lens, but we may be looking through the wrong lens. And also maybe the sense that we just may not know it if we saw it, because we're just so used to this, this waking consciousness of what life is. And, and in this matrix, we don't mess, we may not know what life is and other forms of consciousness, environments and planets and stuff. And so I think there's, it, this can be a real complicated thing, but I get what they're saying about Venus. I was like, that is pretty interesting, but we actually may not really know what we're looking at. No, <laughs> too, you
2: know? no. And, and that's pretty much what the the lead discoverer says. Um, so the lead discoverer, yeah. or the co-author, I should say, um, of the discovery this is a direct quote from the actual study itself. I should emphasize that life as an explanation for our discovery should be, as always, the last resort. Um, so instead of, so some read the discovery as phosphine in as the discovery of extraterrestrial life, but some also say it raises questions about phosphine being a reliable marker for life. Um, but some consider it as a marker for life on rocky planets, such as Venus, like literally the atmosphere is so crazy that the, we've tried to land a space probe on the planet a few different times, the record of a space probe making it on the planet, like actually existing before melting away is 127 minutes. Yeah. A little over two hours, right? Because it's 880 degrees Fahrenheit on the planet. Which pretty is hot, perfect. man. <laughs> it's crazy. But here's, here's it's extremely hot. Yeah, it's crazy. But here's another interesting <laughs> thing. So in 2016, NASA researchers found that Venus might have been able to support life like actually like, like our type of life mm-hmm. during the first two billion years of the planet's early history. And here's where the, the interesting part comes in. A runaway greenhouse gas effect over billions of years contributed to its current hellish landscape.
0: Hmm.
1: Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. Like, Isn't that kind of interesting? A lot of imp- there's a lot of implications to that. I'm like, yeah. Yeah.
2: But this, this also caused me to look a little bit deeper into um like just what NASA and, and what forward looking like science fiction writers and NASA scientists yeah. thought about Venus, right? Because we always talk about like colonizing Mars. But recently, so we're putting together a, a space podcast. Have I told you about our space podcast yet? Oh, yeah. You know,
1: we t- we've talked about it and, uh, off air, and I was like, I'm juiced about this, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, good. We got the, the first episode published, but there's another one coming. And this is where I learned about this for the first time. We interview a guy named Jeffrey Landis, who was a NASA astrophysicist who worked on the first Mars rover program, and he turned into a science fiction writer. And his uh, kind of obsession was Venus. And he uh, was talking about how he thinks Venus could be just as um, easy is not the right word, but it could be just as fruitful as colonizing Mars. But here's the interesting part about it. As we've already gone over the, at the conditions at the the surface of the planet are like, you, you can't have, you can't hang out there, right? It's like 900 degrees Fahrenheit. No, you're not going to have a society there. Right. But go <laughs> up in the atmosphere the the conditions become more and more and more and more compatible so the idea is eventually you'd be able to build and actually sustain floating cities on hmm. venus wow
1: just don't fall down into the other parts
2: of <laughs> <laughs> Right? We'll go to the surface, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the question, right? Is like when is that type of technology that's going to be able to sustain these yeah. massive floating hunks of metal, like uh like Avengers style, right, for prolonged yeah. periods like in perpetuity, pretty much, where people feel comfortable hanging out up there without the ground falling out from them, you know? But yeah. it's a nice idea.
1: It's an interesting idea. It makes me think of this whole thing. I've really been recently into listening to podcasts about exoplanets and how that that profession now, exoplanet hunting or scientists who are exoplanet specialists has grown from a few people to thousands of people who are in that line of work now. And the and seeing I saw I think I saw an article the other day about like there's a planet out there that actually may be more hospitable for life than our own. Which was crazy to me.
2: Wow! Do you know what the what they were using as like the the markers for that?
1: I I can't remember exactly. I was reading it and I was it was later at night. I was like I'm falling asleep, but <laughs> I just remember looking like this was pretty amazing. But it also made me think because I've been watching on HBO Max this this show Raised by Wolves, uh, which is is an amazing show. It's crazy um, about androids raising humans on Kepler. 22b which is a real planet it's a real planet wow. um discovered by the kepler team uh it's 600 light years away and which is daunting to think i mean that far away um but it's a very interesting kind of play on what would life be like on that other planet and it delves into themes of like what if we thought a planet was actually a virgin planet that there had never been other life on there but what if there actually was previous life on that planet. We just don't know what it was, you know, or what if it's very different than what we surmise that it was supposed to be type of thing. So I actually think there's just so much more mystery to these things. I think we're looking at like earth-like planets and there may be earth-like planets, like really like in the Goldilocks zone and they may look like earth and everything, but it actually may be very mysterious to what's actually there. And I think it's the unintended things that we often don't think about it's also kind of like i would this is this is a severe uh go off from what we're talking about but i'm reading this book called sex robots and vegan meat very good i think you'd be very into it peter <laughs> well, and I mean, uh sorry. i mean i just think it'd be pretty i think you like as someone who does what you do i think you'd be fascinated by the information in it and stuff
2: I mean if it's anything about what you've just been talking about I'm absolutely fascinated. Dude, it's by all it. about right? sex robots, all about <laughs>
1: food being
2: grown from real
1: animals, like eating a chicken, eating chicken from a chicken that's still alive, weird. Uh how to die better and then um gosh, there was another thing. Oh, growing babies outside of the womb, like growing babies in bags and vats and st- it's weird stuff, but it's actual real technology that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um. Whoa. Yeah. M- mind blowing, man. Mind blowing. And it makes me think of there are unintended consequences to doing things and anything in life. But in the search for planets and what we think a planet is supposed to have on it, I actually don't think we know a lot. I think we think we do, but I think there's things that are going to blow our mind if we ever actually are able to study it really close, you know. Oh
2: man, we don't, we don't know anything, right? We know, we nothing. know nothing. <laughs> we know <laughs> nothing. <laughs> but, but the, and that's, I mean, that's pretty much it about everything, right? From like, it, honestly, like COVID to the universe, right? It's like, I, to I the nothing. ocean even, right? It's like, seriously, honest astonished about how little we actually know, but how much we think we do. It's <laughs> no, We're very like ego-centered,
1: you know? Yeah
2: the, the space like the space stuff just kind of fascinates me too because you were talking about we don't know what happened with planets like before we existed we don't know what don't they know. were like millions of years so I've seen models of what people hypothesize Mars used to look like where it was like beaches yeah. and water and you know like other planets that have the ability to support life in the past and like to me it's it's absolutely fascinating because like the the best example I have right so I grew up Catholic and I've I've strayed away from organized religion in a sense. Cause I, there's, we don't need to get into the, the reasons why, but the, the best example that I have for some sort of creator, right. Or, or something out there that has, that created us, right. Be it um, like future humans for a simulation, be it God, be it whoever is the big bang theory, right. The origin of the universe, mm-hmm. because we don't know what happened before that. We do not know. So the Big Bang Theory, for people that, that don't know what it is, it's like the the origin of the universe that states the, the um, universe started from a single point. Uh, there was this massive explosion that caused it to expand, and it's continuously expanding. This is Hubble's law, which actually uh, broke the scientific consensus from static universe theory, which is like the universe was the same before us and it will be the same after us, kind of like the idea we were talking about with uh, – The planets right where we don't know where it was in the past or the future and then the big bang theory was um the conflicting theory to that saying again that the universe started from this origin and then this explosion um happened and then the universe continues to expand and hubble's law actually proved and tilted the scientific consensus in favor of the big bang theory because what it stated this is actually kind of depressing for adventure-minded folk like myself but it states that the further you get um the closer you get towards the edge of the universe, the faster the universe is expanding. So it's expanding at a faster rate towards the edges of the universe than it is in the middle, which means we will never, ever, 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 ever make it to the edge of the universe unless we figure out a way to travel faster than the speed of light.
1: Right. Which is eluding
2: us quite a bit right now. Right, right. <laughs> right. But long, which, long, yeah. long story short, the point is like, we do not know what caused the Big Bang Theory. And that, to me, fascinates me because it's like the origin of everything that we know.
1: Well, there's a lot of mystery in life. Um, And I think we're in a time where there is, I don't want to say competition, but there's a lot of, again, tribalism related to science and spirituality and the whole thing. And I think we have to be very careful about how we denigrate one or the other for that. Uh, because we can become too scientific-based and not have an understanding of things that are bigger than us. And we could be too fan- fanatical in terms of, let's say, an expression of spirituality which religion that you don't consider anything scientific or scholarly. And I think it's a big mistake on both sides that that happens with. And the, my own personal view is, is one that I, I think I share with Not that I would know anything about this Deepak Chopra. I've listened to a lot of his stuff, and regardless of how people may feel, I personally feel that in spirituality, you can find science, and in science, you could find spirituality in a lot of it. And there are books like The Immortality Key, another really good book that just came out. I'm going to be reading it soon. That actually links a lot of spirituality and religion to mushrooms, psilocybin. L.S., Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, psilocybin primarily or ayahuasca, all these things. So I think there's just a lot we don't know. But I think that there's a lot to be open minded to. And I think that's what bothers me about this time, especially with the election, because, man, I want it to be over. (laughs) I want us to be more open minded as a society about the mysteries of life and maybe understanding that science has given us so much I'm all in, man. But also, there may be things you're just never going to know about. And it's okay that there's mystery in life. It's okay. I mean, it's not everything, in my opinion, has to be quantifiable. It's okay to have mystery. But it's also amazing to have science to understand things and have revelations too. And it feels like sometimes that that's just not, it's not allowed to happen. And that I don't like in that sense.
2: Yeah, well, it needs to go hand in hand, right? It's like the same yeah. way with uh, as as much as as we talk about the the division in the left and the right, and I think there's a lot of division in the left and the right. Yeah. It's both sides are necessary, right, to move it forward, right? Because yeah. you have one side that that has these progressive ideas and move society forward, and then one side that resists and is like, well, this is a great idea, but how do we execute it? And that pushes society forward. And like that that push and that pull is absolutely necessary. And just to even piggyback off of and I hate using that word, so sorry for using it, but just to <laughs> piggyback off of the, the example you the examples you gave in the book that you're reading, right, of the sex robots and whatnot, those bring moral questions as well. Right. As you said, also unintended consequences. So that to me would be science combined with spirituality. And as long as we're we're open minded and looking for I, I don't know. Truth isn't the right word either, but I think we're just looking to, we're united around a common goal, right? At, and as long as we're united around a common goal, then I think we'll be okay. But yeah, I think that's so. what scares me is we need to figure out what a common goal is. Yeah, we
1: got to figure that out. Yeah, it's definitely, which is and the speaking on this and and I think you you mentioned this to me in kind of our off air thing, or we'll put it in the notes here and stuff about driverless ride hailing. Which, by the way, I saw that. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to talk about this. This is like a thing for me. And where we're at in kind of this, what was it third or fourth industrial revolution- This fourth industrial revolution and in our society. I saw a documentary which was crazy, and it was saying that the end of this. Um, basically, this phase of technology is driverless ride hailing. I was like, that's an interesting way of looking at it. that this is the be- end of one phase and the beginning of the next. The perfection of driverless ride hailing or autonomous vehicles is the end of one era and the beginning of the next phase of technology. i just I just found that interesting. So what are we learning? Is it Waymo that is starting to do this now, and is it San Francisco?
2: uh this phoenix so it's as phoenix. of last yeah. Friday yeah so we're recording this the 13th so the October 9th is when um Waymo launched its fully driverless ride service in Phoenix That's which is unbelievable right it's absolutely crazy and i mean uh, th- what had happened was they were piloting it in Phoenix so it was called Waymo 1 is the service mm. and they had pilot members that had uh the the service operators but as they've transitioned to getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the pilot, these rides have gone towards what they call um, rider-only, right? which is 100% driverless, and Man. they're launching a 100% driverless taxi service in Phoenix. It's already launched um, as of a few days ago, which is nuts, right? So I, I have it's um, nuts. A couple, yeah, I have a couple contacts in this too that I've talked to um, a co- as recently as a couple months ago. Um, one of the guys is the lead principal at KPMG. Uh, His specialty is civic infrastructure. So he advises on like Hyperloop projects, um, construction of buildings, highways, things of that nature, and also regulations um, that should be instituted and implemented on industry. And his specialty or what he was getting towards was driverless cars. How as a government entity do you regulate this industry because as of uh, you know very recently it's been largely unregulated which is why there's been such a, 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 a innovation like push and that's why there's so much innovation that's happened in such a short time is because it's been unregulated and what he was telling me is his prediction and again this is as of you know a few months ago was driverless cars would not become a reality until at least 2040 and that might be aggressive so this Just eviscerates that timeline. Seriously, (laughs) it's crazy. I mean, it just happened. Like, I would love to like
1: get feedback from people who are using it. Like, as of last Friday or whatever, like, what's been the response? Have you guys dug in, or are you gonna have some information related to that?
2: I I haven't personally talked to anybody. I know a couple members of our team have folks in Phoenix that they've reached out to uh, as recently as today, actually. Mm-hmm. So when they hear, like, I mean, I want to put it in the donut, obviously, because I think that would be freaking incredible. But like, I would have a question for you. Like, would you take it? Would you take a rider only car right now?
1: Oh my gosh, you beat me, man! You beat me to the punch. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna ask Peter if he would do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> great mind, great mind. You totally beat me. I'm not happy about this. Uh, I. <laughs> Because I was like, I'm gonna get him, and then he'll probably ask me, and I'll have a chance to figure
2: out what I (laughs) want
1: to (laughs) say. Which just hurt me with that. Uh, My instinct is to say yes that I would try it, but I I think I'm kind of nervous too. I'd be nervous a little bit, honestly. What do you think?
2: Well, would you try? Like personally, I would try it. And for me, I would try it just to be able to experience it. I don't know if I would consistently do it. I think whether I would consistently do it or not would depend on that first experience. Because for me, like, man, I love driving. Like, I love driving. It's a passion of mine. So I don't know that I could go 100% driverless all the time. But in certain instances where, like, I have to get work done or it's like a crazy day and I actually Mm -hmm. have to do it. But I don't want to lose the time in the car. It's like that's awesome to have that time back in the day too. So I would try it, but I would be just like, hey, man, I'd be freaking just. I think freaking. I'd be
1: freaking out. I'd be <laughs>
2: freaking out. I would want like, I would want like, you know, the driver inst- like the driver's instructor that has the brake and the passenger side. Like that's what I would want. <laughs> Hook me up with that brake, man.
1: <laughs> like, I, I don't. I don't know. I think it's. I I'm really interested to see how many people actually use it like i don't know like i'm like you i enjoy driving and actually it's funny this whole thing like i have a tesla and i love it i love driving my tesla like and i have the autopilot i never use it ever and and when i do use it i'm like "Eh, i'd rather drive (laughs) like so (laughs) it just doesn't make sense to me i'm sorry elon i know you want like a driverless fleet and this whole thing is just like and there's something about actually driving it and the whole thing. So I don't know. It depends, like, would I would I do it and go, like, oh, I want my first ride to be, like, I don't know, like a two-minute drive or something. Like, how far would you, uh, would you go? Would you test it on a longer drive in the city, or would you do something, like, really short?
2: Oh, man. And this is where, like, I don't know that I'd want it to be in the city, but I don't know that i have <laughs> an option. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't want it around a whole bunch of stuff and people. 'Cause I would just be yeah. I don't know why like there's just so many things that can go wrong and that would be all that would be going through my head when I'm just sitting in that car. It's like, does it see that stop sign up there? Does it see that it can't merge into this lane right now? Like that's that's where I that's what I would be thinking the entire time. You wouldn't relax. You wouldn't have you'd be relaxed. I don't think I would, no. Not I initially. Yeah. Not initially. I, I would need like it's a time thing probably where the trust would need to get built up a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, what do you think the difference, okay, that, and, like, would you be more likely to do, like, Hyperloop once that comes online? Ooh, like well, you're talking,
2: like, bullet trains, right, like, high-speed
1: trains? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about, like, 30 minutes from New York City to Washington, D.C., I read the latest that they would say would,
2: would go. Yeah, well, and, and so that actually, well, I had a question for this after, so to answer your question, yeah, I think I would, because they have been operating consistently and safely in other countries for prolonged periods of time, right? Like China, Europe, um, uh, there's high speed trains that, that operate Japan and they operate, um, well. Right. So I think that technology is a little more proven than the driverless. So yeah, I 100% would, but here's a, here, here raises an interesting question is with the implementation of these high speed trains, are similar security measures implemented at airports or how would security be handled or would it be handled differently at all?
0: Mm,
1: I haven't really thought about that honestly on that level. I mean, it, yeah, I I think about kind of like the Hyperloop system where like they have it underground. And uh, I think the one in Vegas is just about done actually, by the way, um, which would be pretty cool. Like, how does that work? You know, you're in this like confined tube, and what's the security to like to go through this whole thing? I don't know. It's just like, I think, I think the potential for changing travel is very close on that sense. You know, if you can get from San Francisco to LA and at less than an hour, it could change, you know, people's migration patterns, you know, and where they live and all that. I actually think it's very exciting. Can you imagine going across the entire country in like two hours if that was a feasible thing in the future?
2: Like, that'd be nuts. Oh, yeah, That' would be absolutely crazy. But here, and here's the, the counter to that, right? So there's a few different counters because the, there's a lot of um, environmental activists that are like uh, similar to yourself and, and myself, right? Because I'm excited about the possibility of trains as well. just because I love technology. I'm also excited about the possibility of hypersonic flight. And the ability for hypersonic flight, because my point I was going to make is I think you'll always be able to travel faster by air just because of the the infrastructure ability, right? Like the jet engine, I don't know that you'll be able to on land go Mach 2
0: Hmm.
2: in the air. I feel like you could.
1: Where are we with that type of technology for planes? Like, I remember like there was a push for all that, but is that back online for, you know, those
2: versions of flying? Yeah. So Virgin Galactic is actually testing out a commercial hypersonic flight, um, right now. So the, before, um, like with the Concorde and, and stuff like that, uh, the flight, like subsonic flight is necessary because of the, the speed barrier, right. Or the sound barrier. So if you imagine if you're flying faster than the speed of sound consistently, right? Day in and day out, imagine the airplane traffic over a metropolitan yeah. area, right? That sound would just drive people crazy, right? You just wouldn't be able to do it. So it's just not very feasible. Now, if you're taking hypersonic flights, the idea is to travel high enough in the atmosphere where you wouldn't have that sound effect on the ground. And that's what Virgin Galactic's testing right now is a plane that can fly on the edge of that atmosphere and get you to places a hell of a lot faster than anything that exists today. Wow. That's crazy. There's too much happening, <laughs> <laughs> man. It's, it's like, like
1: almost too much, man.
2: That's uh, I i am plugged into the news all day, every day. And um, like, you know, our team does an incredible job, right? Like they've been allowing me to focus more and more on the business side, which is absolutely incredible, right? Like a testament to them and, and what they do. Um, but like, the meetings that we have, the editorial meetings we have every day, oh my goodness, man. It's like two hours worth of like very intensive discussion and research and questions and all of that. Because like you're right, yeah. there's just so much going on in the world. Imagine all that's going on in the U.S. All of this is also going on in other countries as well. And there's like 160 plus countries in the world. So all of that Incredible. combined with 7 billion people on the planet. Like there's going to be some stuff that happens, which is good, right? Because if we're in the news business, yeah, we're always going to have something to report on.
1: Well, tell me about the news related to this. And you sent this over and I was like, I don't have a lot of knowledge about this. The uh, Nicola debacle here. Uh, I don't really know a lot about this. I've heard a little bit. I know they had raised a lot of money, but, you know, uh, educate me on this a little bit.
2: Yeah. So N- Nicola's actually super interesting because um, they took similar to tesla right like they're supposed to be a challenger they want to challenge tesla for um, zero emission vehicles like Mm -hmm. zero ev um, supremacy their foundation is mainly hydrogen electric but the name comes from nikola tesla right so like tesla the ev company took the name from nikola tesla nikola took the first name took the last name right so um, the company was founded in 2014 they build zero emission vehicles like i said mainly hydroelectric trucks Um, they just recently launched, uh, or revealed the specs for, um, uh, consumer focused truck. So it supposedly has like 10 to $12 billion in pre-orders, the company as a whole. Um, but dude, if you look at the website, the vehicles are dope. Like it's awesome. They have a jet. ski. Oh my God. They have a jet ski. They have like a little, um, four wheeler, like a dune buggy type vehicle, Uh, They have electric, fully electric and hydrogen electric semi-trucks, and then they have the Nikola Badger, which is the consumer-focused truck, which was actually revealed after the Cybertruck was revealed, Mm -hmm. because the founder, and we'll get into the founder, he's a very outspoken dude, um, came out after the release of the Cybertruck and said, we didn't plan on doing a consumer truck, but that thing's so damn ugly, we're going to (laughs) release it. And then they released the Nikola Badger and started taking pre-orders for it. Um, but dude, okay. Like in the past few months, um, this company, this company has had like a, just a crazy swing. It's like a, a WeWork type swing, but they're very stabilized, um, now. So like in early June, they want public. So they want public via an SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company. Are you familiar with what those are? Yes, I am. Yeah. So for those, those who aren't blank check companies, just big pools of cash, they're listed on the stock exchange, but their purpose is to just buy a company. right? So it, it bypasses the traditional underwriting, the traditional IPO or direct listing process and allows a company to access the public markets very easily. Um, so they went public in early June. June 10th, right? So like a week after they went public, they became more valuable than Chrysler and Ford. Remember, this is a pre-revenue company. They have Crazy. not delivered a single vehicle yet. They're more valuable than Chrysler and Ford. So September 8th, fast forward a couple months, Nikola and GM formed a strategic partnership. And the reason I think this is interesting is um, it's a direct contradiction to what Tesla is trying to do. So Tesla, as I've been saying for years, I thought they should have explored licensing their technology to a company that was more manufacturing instead of trying to build and vertically integrate their manufacturing and build all of their facilities and cars in house themselves. Right, because creating an international logistics supply, like creating an international supply chain, is intensive work, man. Like it's not easy. I had a dad who, for twenty five years, ran a four billion dollar supply chain for um, an international company. Right, it's not, it's not easy to do. Yeah. So that's exactly what Nikola is doing. nicola is, in return for two billion dollars worth of their stock, um, GM is going to provide engineering, manufacturing, and sourcing services for their Badger and um, other vehicles as well, right? So what they're doing is they're licensing their technology to GM, who has expertise in supply chain and manufacturing and engineering, right? So it's like the best of both worlds there. Stock went up a little bit. Two days afterwards, September 10th, a research firm called Hindenburg Research. So they published a, a report that's entitled <laughs> Nicola. How to Parlay an Ocean of Lies into a Partnership with the Largest Auto OEM in America. That is two days after the partnership with GM. So in the report, uh, again, it's a short seller firm, right? So their, their entire incentive is to get the stock of Nikola to drop. But what they allege is uh, they kind of fabricated their technology, And focus on uh, one of the events in particular that they focus on is the unveiling of its prototype electric semi-truck. It's the Nikola One. So this is in December 2016. They unveiled a video where it's voiced over by CEO Milton, Trevor Milton, the founder, uh, claiming it, quote, fully functions and works, which is really incredible, end quote. And then in January 2018, the company released a promotional video of the truck driving along a desert highway. So Hindenburg investigated the site of the second video and shared text messages with an employee that claims the video was staged. So text messages and site investigation combined, they found the truck was rolling downhill rather than operating under its own power, Mm. right? Because it was supposed to be a driverless truck like we were talking about earlier. So the findings shadowed what Hindenburg described as a growing skepticism over like the technology and functionality of the trucks, and so this is September 10th, this report comes out, the stock just absolutely tanks.
0: Mm.
2: 10 days afterwards, the executive chairman and CEO and founder of the company, Trevor Milton, resigns. So he forfeited $166 million in stock, and similar to Adam Newman um, and the WeWork deal walked away with $3.1 billion. The day afterward, right? So this is September 20th. The day afterward, September 21, Milton was accused of sexual assault by his cousin, what? In an, yeah, in an <laughs> incident dating back to 1999. So his, his cousin went on Twitter and alleged sexual assault, um, claiming he fondled her when she was 15 and he was 17 in 1999. And then after she came forward, a second woman came forward who was a former office assistant um, at a previous security company he ran and alleged sexual assault in 2004. So he's denied the allegations. And according to a statement from his spokesman, said, uh, at no point in his life has Mr. Milton ever engaged in any inappropriate physical contact with anyone. Um, So he denies the allegations. And what the company is doing now is they're in like full backpedal mode, right? And they're like trying to prove their technology, prove all these claims. Um, GM is trying to fight off claims of like they didn't do any due diligence, you know, that sort of thing. So the stock price was at a high of $79 per share in June. When it was more valuable than Chrysler and Ford, was as high as fifty dollars a share September eighth after the GM deal was announced. And Then went as low as seventeen fifty in late September, and it's now around twenty five a share. Whoa! So, yeah.
1: Wow, what a what a weird circumstance! <laughs> this is a
2: strange strange story. I mean, it's strange. And then, like the most interesting part of it to me is like. Why Nikola has had such a such an incredible rise, and like their their future, their forward looking plan. Um, so they're focused on hydrogen fuel cell cars. So creating hydrogen electric cars, uh, which is where a car has a hydrogen tank that feeds a fuel cell with hydrogen gas mixes with oxygen, and once it mixes with the oxygen, there's a reaction and produces the electricity that powers the motor. Right. So instead of using a battery, a lithium ion battery to produce electricity, to power an electric motor, hydrogen electric cars use hydrogen fuel cells. Right. So they have characteristics of electric cars and petrol cars. And the right. it's it's so like to me, it's so fascinating because like the pros of those cars are a longer range. Right. So your Tesla probably has what a range of like 300 miles or so. Yeah. So Tesla's are top end of the line in terms of range. So, uh, Typical EV uh, outside of a Tesla would be like a 100 to 200 miles per full charge. Uh, Hydrogen, by comparison, would be 300 to 400. Interesting. A typical car. And the refueling time, and this is the crazy part about it, it's similar to a current gas station. Whereas oh, wow. like when you plug in your Tesla, it's like 15 minutes or so does, to recharge. yeah. Half hour. So this would be a lot quicker to refuel.
1: Wow. I mean, do you see that I mean, obviously, it's just speculation, but do you think that Tesla will always be the leader in this or that? You're just going to see a lot of people coming up trying to usurp them, or will there be another rival? Like, really? Is this a rival? I mean, I looked at that badger. It's pretty sweet, man. Yeah. (laughs) Way better than that dumb Cybertruck, which looks horrible, in my opinion.
2: <laughs> like, well, no, I mean, it's it's cool, right? And, but the, the difference here, at least, is Nikola was focused more on the um, B2B, like the the logistics yeah. market. They're making the semi-trucks, whereas Tesla was focused more on the consumer market. But Tesla is wanting, has been wanting to make semi-trucks for a while. But the constraint they've run into there is the range of the battery and also the weight yeah. of the battery. right? So, like... Any added weight to a semi truck, right? Something that's actually like shipping stuff from A to B means that's less stuff that you can actually put on the back for it to ship. So that's been a constraint of, of Tesla's on the semi truck side. So eventually, will there be a competitor to Tesla? Yeah. I mean, there already are like Rivian and Lucid yeah. um, and all of the, the legacy automakers, too, like your GMs, Ford, Chrysler's. They're all investing very heavily and autonomous driving and electric vehicles, uh, zero emissions vehicles. So I think we're already seeing kind of like an arms race, but we're not going to see the fruits of the arms race for a few years still because a lot yeah. of the major investments are happening like now or in the past couple of years.
1: I think, you know, what's interesting, I think one of the big differences is, is Elon Musk. He is basically a celebrity in his own right. And being the face of something, his juice is so high Whereas at these other places, I don't know any of these other people, or maybe they're just not in his level of—I hate to say this word—stardom, you know, or just he's like in the upper atmosphere in terms of his what people that what you see of him. And then you know, Tesla's one thing. There's like SpaceX, <laughs> there's Hyperloop. There's all—you know—it's like it's actually pretty incredible. Um, the things that he's he's looking at doing or has done. Now, I also saw on Battery Day that they're looking to do a $25,000 Tesla within three years, which would be mind-blowing, mind-blowing to me. I mean,
2: I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> I'll be getting another one. Yeah. Well, and uh, like that's that's so fascinating to me because I was just having a conversation with my mentor about this. I'm, I've said the word, I think, fascinating like a thousand times in this episode, but like, I, I can't think <laughs> of a better okay. word to describe it. You're <laughs> right. I can't think of a, a better word to yeah. describe it. I was talking to a, a mentor of mine and he is like one of the best salesmen I have, I have ever heard of, right? Like he's, he's literally powered Tesla on a $0 marketing budget and it's consistently rehyped, right? Cause like, I just get so, so impressed with the way he's able to consistently hype up the stuff that they're doing, right? Yeah. Even if the timelines are incorrect. Even if the promises of the technology are incorrect. <laughs> true he he is a very he's very good at like that hamster wheel right of like the the promotion yeah and that's what i think a lot of battery day is right like it 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 sets the direction of where they're going obviously but in terms of like the actual promises i've learned from him and also just running a company myself it's like delays happen and timelines aren't accurate especially when you're talking at that scale, right? Like no, and that's what we were talking about earlier, the numbers, right? Like there's no possible way you can predict every eventuality across a, a, a large scale company. You just can't. So of course there's going to yeah. be delays that occur. Of course there's going to be technological constraints. Of course, right? But, you know, the, the general direction of the company I think is awesome. And at some point they'll probably have, They at some point they will have a $25,000 Tesla.
1: Yeah, that'll be insane. That'll be almost and that would be almost impossible, it feels like, too. But as they make more advances in technology and batteries and stuff, and, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, just watching the uh, the SpaceX stuff that he does with that, I'm like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> I'm like, this is, how could this be, th- is this real life? Like, this is crazy, you know, like, ugh. Man, Human being on the moon,
2: right, not on the moon. Human being in space, man. <laughs> they put a. I'm I'm so stuck on the Apollo missions. I've been digging yeah. deep into the space the space podcast that that um uh, that we're doing. Oh, nice. But God, they they literally put a person in space in like a 15 year period. Yeah, from the ground up, literally from the ground up. It's crazy, right? Ugh.
1: Life is amazing. Like there's like really. Really cool stuff happening. And I am always grateful, Peter, that you want to take the time for us to do this news segment every couple months. I know you're extremely busy. You have a lot going on, but anything you want to plug, put out there, I know you just talked about the space podcast, anything, please throw it out there as people are definitely enjoying the donut.
2: Yeah, definitely. So we have one product right now it's a daily email newsletter, it's a general news roundup. So it covers a broad variety of topics. Uh, you can find and sign up for it at the donut.co. Um, as you probably heard on the podcast earlier, it's uh fact-based, impartial, engaging, positive spin. Um, our writers do an absolutely incredible job and, uh, you know, it's something that I, I look forward to every morning as do tens of thousands of our subscribers and, uh, follow us on social media. We're at donut daily news, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. TikTok coming soon if it's still around. Uh, and <laughs> very soon, we're going to be launching a space podcast called Rocket Launch Pod um, for casual space observers, skeptics. If you're passionate about space, you'll love it. Um, it covers the history of the American space program and where we're going in the future in terms of some of the stuff we talked about earlier around like Venus, Mars, um, that sort of thing. And we'll also be launching in. Uh, the upcoming weeks, um, a beta version of our text message product. It's called the Hot button and it is the news you need to know in 60 seconds or less. Wash your hands of it and get on with your day. Um, so that's everything we got going on. You can learn about us. Find us at the donut.co sign up for everything. Also drop me a line if you want to Peter at my donut.co. I always love hearing from people, having discussions as Darian knows. I love me some conversation. Yes, so however you, you want to get in touch with us, please get in touch with us, because uh, we'd
1: love to have you. I just subscribed to Rocket Launch Pod, the trailer on there, looks like, right now. Uh, you know how juiced I am about this, so I'll be very much looking forward to getting these episodes uh, for that. I very rarely subscribe to many podcasts. i just very picky, but, you know, anything you do, I'm into, man, so... Thank you for your support of me, and uh, I am always happy to support you. And, you know, the next time we do this, we'll probably know who the president is.
2: <laughs> so here's, here's a question.
0: Will, uh,
2: <laughs> will we, as a society and as a culture, and in terms of getting along with each other, right, because in the run-up to the election— it's absolutely, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy in terms of the emotional toll it takes on people. Do you think we'll be in a better position when we next talk or a worse position? Ooh,
1: you're hitting me today. Uh, I think that depends on what happens. <laughs> 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 depends on who gets picked. This is just my honest opinion. It's purely speculation. My disclaimer is I have no clue about this. But I'm just giving you my personal opinion, which is either uh, very right or very wrong or somewhere in the gray that I think that um, if it comes out more uh, with Biden, I think it probably won't be too terrible. That's just I don't know. That could, could be off if it comes out of a reelection of Trump. I think there's going to be I'm, I don't know if there'll be like a lot of violence and stuff, but I think that there'll be probably a sense of there might be a change in how people view our country. And how people feel about what what the hell are we doing?" type of thing. I don't know. I just that's my sense. Again, I could be extremely wrong. wrong but again, people surprise you. I'm, most of the good things that have happened in my life have been because they've been, they've been completely unknown to me until they became known to me <laughs> More that. My projections have always been completely off. I say somebody's gonna make a jump shot, they always miss it. I say somebody's missed a field goal, they always make it. I so I don't, I don't know, but I, I, I do hope that we learn from this, that we we do better. We gotta want to do better. We need to, we need to come together as human beings. Stop bickering about who's right and who's wrong. We are a human species. We are amazing people. We should be learning from each other. And Lord, I hope that after. The presidential election then we have this that it's not anarchy i don't think it will be but i've been surprised by a lot this year so
2: yeah well i mean look i going back to going back to some numbers right the there's a usa today suffolk poll that was recently released mm-hmm. that said 28 of biden supporters say they aren't prepared to accept a trump victory is fairly won And 19% of Trump supporters say they're not prepared to accept a Biden victory as legitimate. So all I'm hoping for is we have a free and fair election. There's a peaceful transition of power. And if that happens, regardless of who it is, I think we will eventually in the long run be okay. Yeah.
1: Well, that would be nice. And I think, you know, for me, like, I think we're very similar. Not, you know, and we kind of have this paradoxical view of things. And I just, you know, I want things, I want good for people. Regardless of who is running what, I hope that it's just good for good people, good humans wanting to do good things, further our species, and um, and that we will care about each other. And I hope anybody listens listens to this and hears this kind of newscast we do once every couple months. I hope you hear that from us that we just want good. We want people to have their their you know a mind that looks at things and looks at various points of views. We know that you're going to have opinions. Peter and I both certainly have opinions, but we're trying to bring you some really good, hard-hitting information here, and then you figure out what you want to do with it. Certainly, that's a large part of the aim of the donut, to give you the the scoop, and you figure it out beyond that. So thank you so much for your time, Peter.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. You know, I love doing these, man, and I'm looking forward to this next one because I think it'll, (laughs) it'll be an interesting one. It will be. All right, man, we'll be in touch sounds good man talk to you soon thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's social network make sure you listen to future episodes also please make sure to rate and review my dad's show on Apple podcast in the rate and review section thanks everyone
0: sure we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switched to progressive could save big but then what well there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on so let's enjoy it. Wow. Almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates.